Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the Modes of Mouth podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. We've partnered with the Brain Tumor Charity, helping to raise awareness and help find a cure. Thanks to our partnership, we've been able to create a short series of special podcasts uncovering those within the motorsport community who've been affected by these devastating diagnoses. You can hear these stories, including the Williams F1 team's planning director, Richard Jones, right now on your chosen podcast player the charity work all year round to help develop research and raise awareness and this october sees the return of the brain tumor charity's most beloved community event the twilight walk you can join them remotely this autumn to cover 10 kilometers 40 kilometers 130 kilometers or your very own distance to raise money and take strides towards a cure moving about is well known for boosting our well-being and you can complete your walk bit by bit or all in one go as a team or by yourself at home or indoors so visit www.thetwilightwalk.com to sign up and start your fundraising challenge a huge thank you for your support if you can donate anything you can do that through the motormouth.club website or through the brain tumor charity direct and together we can help every single person affected by a brain tumor it's season nine and we're really excited to be once again teaming up with f1 experiences the official experience hospitality and travel program of formula one f1 experiences is the closest you can get to the pinnacle of motorsport and let's face it any chance to get close to formula one this year we're all over it and the brilliant news is you can now be trackside thanks to f1 experiences enjoy the very best race tickets and track hospitality first class hotels and unprecedented access you simply cannot get any Anywhere else. For more information on how you can book your F1 experience, visit f1experiences.com where you can also save 5% on your very own F1 experiences package by using the code MOTORMOUTH when checking out online. So, 
What are you waiting for? Experience the 2021 F1 season firsthand with exclusive access courtesy of F1 Experiences. Get booking today at f1experiences.com. Hello everyone, Tim Sylvie here. Now, today's guest hails from Shropshire but was raised in Wolverhampton. And did you know that the city, and yes it is a city, and was named so on the 18th of December in the year 2000, making it one of three millennium cities, the others being Brighton and Inverness, is home to one of the most successful football clubs in the country. If you go back to the 1950s. During that era, they won three Football League Championships, which was then the highest division, two FA Cups, and were involved in the earliest European friendly matches. They were hailed by the press as the unofficial world champions after one of their most famous wins against Honved of Hungary, and they were the first English team to ever play in the Soviet Union. The city's almost also famous for producing the band Slade, but, Harry Benjamin, can you tell me how many number ones Slade had? Was it A, two, B, four, C, eight, or D, six? I feel like I, I only know one Slade song. Um, maybe that's... Oh, God. Um, so I'm going to I'm gonna say two, but I feel like that's horrifically wrong. You're going for A, two. You're saying Slade had two number ones. Yes. Wrong. Oh, so Slade wow. had six number ones in the 70s, which were Because I Love You, Take Me Back Home... Uh, Mama, we're all crazy, spelled in a very funny way. Come on, feel the noise. Squeeze me, please me. Come on, you must know that one. And Merry Christmas, everybody, of course. Yeah, I knew that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So another <laughs> totally poor effort from you on the uh, the quiz front. 70s music is not my strong suit, I have to admit. I'm sorry. Well, I can already apologise. You weren't born by about 20 years, so I think you're forgiven. Top 40 in the charts. You can ask me that and I'll get it right straight away. Oh, well, that's not the question. <laughs> uh, right, shall I introduce today's guest? Yeah, let's get on with it. So today we're joined by Susie Perry, hailing from aforementioned Wolverhampton, but born at RAF Cosworth in Shropshire. She's a proper Wolves footy fan, but I won't bore you with the history of Molyneux. After completing her education, I do know the history of Molyneux, by the way. After completing her education, she went on to work for Sky Sports and, of course, was a fixture on our Formula One screens with the BBC. She's arguably best known for her MotoGP work, but she's done a whole load more, including Goodwood Festival of Speed, where she did that interview with Valentino Rossi. She's also fronted National Lottery coverage City Hospital, Watchdog, The Gadget Show, Treasure Hunt, Superstars, BBC News, BBC Radio 2, BBC Sport, BT Sport, to name just a few. We're here to find out about her life, opinions, views, fears and more. Susie Perry, welcome to the Motormouth Podcast. Oh, thank you. And obviously I've been around forever with that list. <laughs> <laughs> That's an impressive list. <laughs> Did you know thank how you. many number one Slade had? Uh, well, I, I, I would have gone for six. Yes, Aww. I would have gone for six. Actually, I, I might have gone for the higher number because I thought, has Merry Christmas everyone been n- number one about ten times yeah, over yeah. the decades? <laughs> I'm not quite sure, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm, um, I know the boys actually, I know the slave Aww, boys. Awesome. They're all fantastic, honestly. They're, they're all just so lovely. Do you? Um, you're, I know you're a Wolves fan. Um, do you know the history of Molyneux? Um, I think reasonably well. 
um, I've been there enough. But um, yeah, actually, I posted a picture of myself on Instagram yesterday, uh, lying in the changing room um, across the bench. And then Instagram went offline. So lots of people had <laughs> me on their Instagram feed all day, lying in the Wolves uh, changing room, which is fine if you're a Wolves fan. Yeah. But um, yeah, there's some banter going on yesterday. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I, I am a massive Wolves fan. And actually, you said I came from RAF. Um, Cosworth, because you're such a motormouth, and it's Cosford. That I, made me I, laugh because it shows you've got cars on your brain. Damn it! Damn it! There's always something. We always get something wrong, but we at least we had the right. We had the right cities. You're a Wolves fan. We know that. Wikipedia it's did a good, its thing. It's a good slip. That one, isn't it? It, it Cosford, is a good Cosworth. slip. We'll have that, that one. A... We don't mind that one. Um, it's, not the, it's not the worst mistake Tim's made uh, ever when introducing uh, guests. He can't just get their their complete. No, do you know what? Do you know what the worst one was? Wrong. The, the, what, the most embarrassing one was when we had uh, Freddie Hunt on James Hunt's son, and I called him James. That that. <laughs> oh well, that was yeah, a bit of a clangor. All that stuff's easily done. So I I think I was once in. Um, and said we were in a completely different country and to which Eddie Jordan just uh, fell on the floor laughing and he was going, you're human, you're human. I'm like, that, that's not very helpful now, Eddie, thanks. Just the well, well, I'm sure we'll, we've had Eddie on the show before and he is certainly a character. I'm sure we'll come across uh, him and his exploits at some point as well. But let's dive into uh, all about your career, Susie, if I may, and, and take it right back uh, to the start, actually, and then how it all began. You know, Take us up to those days uh, growing up. Was all broadcasting and sport always on the brain or how did it come about? A lot of sport. Um, I was a sport billy at school and in all the teams I was lucky enough to go to a school where we had um, we did everything absolutely everything I would go in the morning do sport lunchtime sport after school weekends my dad had his own football team um, so yeah I was completely enveloped in, in the sporting world and whilst I wasn't brilliant at any one particular sport I did um, partake in many and I uh, yes yeah, so I, I kind of grew up very in a very active way not so much broadcasting I watched sport on TV um, but uh, music really was my I suppose my first love my dad was um, an agent and a promoter um, so I, I grew up going to see a lot of live bands and being around live music my godfather was in white snake and oh, cool. have an eclectic mix of music taste depending on what mood I'm in so I really um uh, just had a kind of a, a lovely childhood growing up with, with lots of loves, lots of passions, lots of energy, lots of support, which um, has been important in later life. And uh, motorsport, yeah, we, lo we loved it in this house. We watched it, you know, um, when I was growing up. Grandstand was always on. And um, I, I, I really enjoyed it. But it wasn't really probably until my early 20s that I started to... Um, ride bikes and um, I had a boyfriend who was a biker and all, all his friends and we used to go out and we used to go to the British Superbikes and World Superbike and you know got completely obsessed with watching it and became one of those noisy sofa fans that shouts at the telly why don't they do this and why don't they do that and so um, the, you know the guys at the time my friends at the time said why don't you ring them and ask them um, so to cut a long story short really I did I rang Sky Sports <laughs> I ran, just ran the reception and asked to speak to Martin Turner, who was producing the full, um, the MotoGP, yeah, the MotoGP coverage at the time. Hadn't turned into MotoGP then, and I got put through to his phone, and it had his mobile phone number on on the message. 
So I rang his mobile number and he picked up. And I started chatting with him. And he said, who are you? And I went, well, I'm nobody. I'm just a bike fan. He went, would you like to come in and have a cup of coffee with me? Wow. And I know. So I obviously I did. And, um, uh, yeah, I walked out with a job as a reporter and became the first girl to to be a reporter in, in bike sport across the world, actually. There weren't any others back in 1997. So that's really where it all started. It's amazing. It was quite mad. It's, it's funny... We've had a few people from um, different broadcasting networks and so on, and Sky and Channel Four and others, and a lot of them have, share a similar kind of story where they've they've stuck their neck out and and received a life changing moment. And it, mm. it seems it, it's a good lesson, really, because it, I think a lot of people sort of sit back and wait for the opportunities to arrive, but sometimes you've just got to stick your neck out and go for it. Um, it. It seems like you did that and you received that life changing moment where the guys like come and see me did you immediately once you'd had that conversation with him think oh no this is i'm a reporter now this is where i see my future and and it was all mapped out for you or, or did it sort of creep up in a different way i'm not very good at planning or looking forward it's not it's not one of my best attributes at all but um i remember walking out of that chat with martin um who I, obviously i was really very lucky to meet um just being so full of joy and I'll never forget that feeling. I, I thought it was going to burst. I was trying to play it cool in the room when he offered me the job and then I walked out and I just wanted to hug somebody but I was on my own. <laughs> so um, I, I, I called my parents and I couldn't believe that he'd offered me a job. You know, I kind of went in to see what the school was and maybe see if they would put me on some sort of course or give me some advice or, you know, I wasn't really sure. So to walk out with a job really was incredibly fortunate, but did it, I didn't know it was going to map out anything. I was so overjoyed and um, wanting to tell everybody that I, I didn't really think about the future. And it, it was tricky, you know, the first... The first year was was very difficult. As much as I really embraced it and loved it, it was a baptism of fire. So my first live broadcast was at Brands Hatch, six hours. And with open talk back, um, bikes, foreign riders that couldn't, you know, quite speak very well. It, It was a really weird scenario to be in when you haven't done any television before. You know, and... People think that it's easy, and it's really not easy. I mean, obviously, I was a cub reporter, so I wasn't holding anything together. I was just doing interviews. But, yeah, it was it was tough, and sometimes your words wouldn't come out properly or you couldn't hear things. And it was a really good way to learn television. I remember watching back and thinking, oh, my God, I'm bloody awful. What am I doing? There's people are watching this. And Martin uh, and Rory Hopkins this guy really helped me um, for those first few races. And then they gave me my own show in 1998, which was a highlight show. And then I was anchoring something. So, you know, it, it was a fast learning curve. But I, yeah, I relished it. And um, it, it set me on a good path, for sure. All, yeah. all thanks to that lady in reception who yeah. put you through. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, actually, it was, it was kind of thanks to a man called Morris Jones, who used to work with my dad. And he, he was a music promoter. And he was one of the promoters that put together Live Aid with Harvey Goldsmith. Wow. And he used to look after the Eurythmics and Simply Red and ACDC. And he started the Monsters Rock Festival at Donington. And I grew up um, with his daughters. Uh, we all grew up together. And so he, he was a big noise at Donington Park. And he kind of helped me... Um, 
and told me about Martin Turner's name. And, you know, he said, just, just ring up. He was the one that gave me the little nudge to do it. So um, God rest his soul. It, it was kind of down to Morris, really. What an amazing uh, start to, to your journey in, in sport, and particularly obviously in, in what became MotoGP. Uh, was there anything else, though, that you could have done? Obviously, the huge musical influences that were coming there. Mm. Was there was there an opportunity there where you may have just gone down a more musical route straight off the bat? Because I know you did, was it business and finance you studied as well? So could yeah. that have been a different route for you? I specialised in marketing with a view to be a music promoter. That, that's really what I wanted to do. Okay. And um, as I was sort of coming to the end of the degree studies, I got offered the chance to go and work in Japan as a, as a model and um, actress, really, doing TV commercials and videos and bits and pieces. Um, and it was a, it, it's strange because it, it was one of those opportunities that you, that you couldn't really turn down. It was back in the early 90s. Uh, they said, if you don't go now, and I was, 21, I think, at the time, you'll be too old to go. So you need to take this contract or not do it. Because I'd started doing some part-time modelling to pay my way through Polytechnic, it was then. Um, so I went to Japan and uh, I ended up staying there for pretty much a year, working over there, which was another story entirely extraordinary. But to go to Japan in the early 90s where there, nobody really spoke English, there were no English signs and it was pretty much like landing on another planet, wow. trying to work everything out. So that that was um that that kind of also changed my path because when I came back, I carried on doing that and I carried on uh, doing TV commercials and bits and pieces in London. So I sort of uh, hadn't gone down the music route there either. And uh, and then and then all this came about with television. So. I'd fallen off the music promotion path, um, I suppose, really, when I when I went to Japan. How do you cope? Well, I'm curious to know how you cope with being in the public eye, because I remember when I, going through some of my um, memories of watching motorsport, you were very much on the screen when I was sort of, I guess, you know, really getting into the industry. You had a recognisable face because of other work that you'd done, whether it was Gadget Show or whatever. Did did you cope okay being a recognised face? Did you feel that when you were sort of pottering around town? I think when you're working in motorsport, you're away a lot. You know, globally, you're you're travelling all over the place. And it isn't really until you do a home race, let's say Silverstone or Donington, that you kind of realise that people really know who you are in a sense because going back I started 25 years ago and we didn't have social media then so you know you didn't have an open um conduit I suppose to to you personally you only had paparazzi yeah so of course I did go through the paparazzi era um I think I never went to the openings of envelopes and I didn't I tried very much not to talk about my private life in public and I didn't use anything that happened to me to get column inches. So I didn't really jump in with two feet um, into the press. I did, I, it terrified me and it still terrifies me to this day. <laughs> I used to get a phone call every year from the, the news of the world back then. Clockwork, every year. We have evidence that you and Gary Lineker have been having an affair. No. And we're going to print it. Can you give us a quote? And I said, yeah, print it. Print it because I knew it wasn't true and it happened every single year and they would just be trying to put two and two together and those kind of phone calls um, 
you know, they used to put the fear of God at me because I don't like, I actually don't like controversy. I'm not very controversial. Even though I'm quite feisty on screen, I, I recognise that. I'm not very much like that at all in, in my private life. So um, dealing with dealing with being in the public eye, I, I don't really, I feel like I've skirted around the edge of it, I suppose is a good way of describing how I feel about it. There have been times where... <laughs> I've been going out with somebody that's maybe been in the public eye or, you know, I've been going through a divorce or something and I've had the paparazzi sitting outside my house, you know, waiting to take pictures. Um, and I just found it incredibly intrusive. So I, I would do anything to not have that happen, really. So I've tried to be quite quiet. But the trouble is if you're quite quiet or not really so much now, but back in the day, back, you know, if we go back 20 years, they would just make something up. But, it's terrible, isn't it? you know, so it, you couldn't really win. But um, I, I think now I find it really quite lovely when people just say hello to you in the street and smile. And I'm quite lucky on social media. I don't really get a lot of nonsense. You know, I, I, some of my friends work in football and I read the stuff that's on their lines and I can't. You know, I just I don't know, I don't think I would be on social media if I if I was them because for the ninety nine good things I will remember the one bad thing. Yeah, especially on Twitter. I mean, it's, we've talked about it on the show before. It's just, it's just such a toxic place on occasion. Um, you know, people hide behind their keyboard. We've had a lot of I think guests, particularly from um, the W series as well, and you just see mm. the amount of of hate they get for for no no good reason no. at all. And it's no. you know, and it's just so it's a it's a it's a blessing and a curse because you know you get these big followings but then also all the baggage that comes with it as well. So it's such a, a nightmare to, um, to to navigate, I suppose. And I suppose the other thing, actually, when you're the broadcaster and when you're working as a journalist in sport, you know, you're, you, the last thing you want to be is the story. You're not the story. The people who are the story is the athletes, isn't it? They're the ones yeah. who are in the limelight. They're the people that have, have come. They, they're bringing the audiences. So out of all the sport you've done you know across motorsport and others are there any sort of amazing and you've met some amazing people as well along the way are there any standout moments you know interviews chats with people that have just stuck with you from the get-go i think having the privilege of interviewing these global superstars really for want of a better phrase is incredible and when someone has either just won a race or just won a championship. I mean, the, the interviews with Lewis when he'd just won the world championship and, you know, there's champagne's fresh and you can smell it and the atmosphere, you can cut it and everybody's excited. Actually, the hairs on my arms are standing yeah. up as I'm even saying this to you. I remember the one in Texas was particularly memorable and he was so happy and he got his arm on my arm and I got my arm on his elbow as well. And it was just, it was, um, we did, I, I didn't realise I was doing it until I saw the pictures back after the interview, but it was almost, um, I don't know if I'm sort of a little bit mumsy with, with, <laughs> uh, with them because I'm so much older. I'm like, oh, well, you know. Um, but but it, the, the pictures are really lovely and you can see the joy in his face. Obviously, he's just become a world champion again. And I'm just so, well, proud of him, uh, in, in awe of him as well, you know, because he's just so talented and he, in his, He's just so brilliant. So I think those kind of interviews stay with me. There was one with Valentino Rossi at Phillip Island. He just won the championship and he took off his helmet and he got snot all across his face, you know, because this happens sometimes in motorsport. And, he, and we were about to go live and I just put my hand over on his face and I wiped it off oh, his face gross. and then just 
just did the interview. And I and I don't profess after 25 years of knowing Valentino and working with Valentino that I'm any sort of best friend of Valentino. I'm not, but I know him well enough to do something like that. I could just imagine you sort of li- licking the napkin. There you go, Valentino. Let's just get that off and let's crack up. Oh, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> but uh, you mentioned but, yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny because when I started, I was the young one. I yeah. was the young one in the paddock you know I was, t- I was sort of 27 years old running around interviewing Mick Doohan and uh, Alex Cavier and you know whoever else was was around there really and and then suddenly you 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 kind of become the, a different sort of figure in the paddock and now I, I do feel a bit like I'm the mum not maybe like the aunt figure I don't know but I, I these kids are 16 years old yeah. now that are racing in Moto3 you know and I and I do like do sort of really get quite anxious about them, and yeah, um, yeah it's, it's it's an interesting path that's gone on. Sorry, I've, I've kind of digressed from the interviews, but those interviews when I was covering the Olympics, um, I also should mention the, the sailing that year in uh, 2004 was, was spectacular. They were making all the headlines. Uh, they called they wouldn't say this now. The three blondes in the boat, but the England yeah. girls were were brilliant that year. Um, those interviews were were really exciting to do, having followed, you know, the journey with them. Um, so I think it, it those are, those are sort of sorts of interviews. I remember interviewing Michael Schumacher as well at a bike event. He came to um, d- do a lap. I think he was. I think he rode on the Ducati, and um, the whole obviously the whole paddock kind of were waiting for him to come in and we were told there was no interviews there was to be no interviews well of course I wasn't going to have that <laughs> so I found his manager and and I said oh you know blah 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 BBC God, love, loved flying that tag around yeah. back in the day and I said look can, if I can I just ask two questions and he said well you you can ask the questions um, that you know everybody else will have to take the answers from those two questions so I was like okay fine but it was such a bun fight when he came in to to get to the front you know it was a big elbow that was probably one of those um, charges and uh, yeah I duly got my questions in which pissed off quite a few of the other journalists I think but um, you know none of them would ask the manager so I thought well yeah. fair enough so I got it and we went out live on the deep so they were very happy about it too so that was another another fun one and always always enjoy to speak to Michael A quick interruption to the show to remind you to check out our sponsor F1 Experiences F1 Experiences offer a wide range of packages that come direct from Formula 1 giving you a unique experience of the pinnacle of motorsport Official ticket packages come with the very best race tickets, first-class hotels and transfers, and unprecedented access, including track tours, pit lane walks, VIP hospitality, and loads more. It really is the closest you can get to Formula One. And thanks to F1 Experiences, you can return to the track this year, and Motormouth listeners can save 5% on your next F1 Experience package by using the code MOTORMOUTH when booking online at f1experiences.com. Are you mentioned- Flying the BBC flag yeah. right there. <laughs> Exactly. Back, back in those days, yeah. You mentioned about being quite sort of feisty on, on camera and, you know, getting your elbows out and things like that. Is that a difficult thing to do? I think that's what I would really struggle with. When you're in like a media pit and you've got, you know, drivers coming at you and journalists from all over the world fighting for space and, and questions, do you feel all right in that scenario? Just sort of, you know, nudging a few people out the way and making sure you get in there first? I don't think it's really like that anymore, to be honest, because it's so well organised. So in Formula One, you, you know, you see the structure with the pen and they come round and they do do interviews yeah. pretty much with all the journalists. So it's, it's, it's much 
more controlled than when I first started when it was just smash bang wallop. Yeah. And um, but I, I, I guess up until about sort of 10, 12 years ago, it was a bit crazy. But yeah, it wasn't my favorite part. But you just I would go into robot mode and know that I had to get those answers for our show and predominantly my feeling on a race weekend is always about how to get the best content for the show and what I would want if I was sitting at home what I would want to know so if I feel like we haven't quite done something properly it irks me until the next race yeah. so yeah I, I can put myself in that position but you know you don't have to do that now it's all it's all quite um, sedate and well especially hard, especially these days no one's in the paddocks anymore with uh, well, all the- Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. burrowcom slash ACAST. Uh, <laughs> yeah. all, the, all the various rules but it has been nice to see you know teams slowly start to come back into the paddock um we, you brought up a few f1 memories there um and obviously you started in, in with on two wheels and then in 2013 mm. you moved over to to f1 and, and the four wheel world as the first permanent female anchor how did you adapt to that that switch to four wheels were you always a, a bit an f1 fan as well was that something you had to get to grips with quite quickly yeah in 98 i did a, a most sports show a little, a little sort of magazine show which covered um lots of different series and um car series so i was kind of doing two wheels and four wheels in the early days but yeah i mean i know i'm i'm much more well known for two wheels um to be honest i'm not sh- sure how well i did in the first year i find it very difficult there was a lot of um mm, what's the way to describe this it's quite challenging let's say um and I, looking back, probably could have done with a bit more support in, in different ways. But um, there was a lot of the things there that, that I did really enjoy. And I, I think by the end of the first season, I felt like I'd cracked it. And I really enjoyed the second and third year and was actually looking forward to the rest of the contract, which you know we'd all got under our belts, which we thought we were going to do with the BBC. So I thought I had three more years. Um, but yeah, you're talking about slipping in with the sort of between. There've been a few years I hadn't done MotoGP. Actually, I'd stopped doing MotoGP. I was doing the gadget show. I was trying to have a family at the time, so there's quite a lot going on personally as well as professionally. And then I, in in 2012, I got asked to go and do Formula One. So that was obviously you know amazing to to be asked to do it. Terrifying as well, um, stepping into you know, good shoes. Jake Humphrey done an incredible job. There'd been a lot of noise around Jake coming in and the kind of relationship that had organically grown between EJ and DC and Jake was was good. You know, it was strong. It was comparable to the Top Gear boys and 
to come in. I knew I was going to get some shit, for want of a better word, really, from uh, various different people. Didn't realise I was going to get quite so much from women, but there you go. That just shows how girls can be sometimes. So, yeah, it took a little while to, to settle in. Took me, I would say it took me a season to settle in. But interestingly, I had a conversation with um, Martin Brundle and because the Sky guys were actually very supportive and very kind and I spent quite a lot of time with them. And Martin said it always takes a season wherever you've come from to feel comfortable here. And I did have some lovely um, uh, friends in the paddock. Nikki Lauder, you know, was very good support for me. Um, Toto was always very kind. DC was brilliant. Um, Eddie became brilliant so you know we, we did get there but yeah I, did, I found it tough the first year and I just found the way that we covered it was a bit different to what I'd been used to um, but I think I probably had to up my game and I and I look back and think it probably made me a better broadcaster yeah no for sure I, I mean fair play to you I think it's it's very hard going into that environment and um, you know you you'd done so much in, in MotoGP um, and, and was so well respected there and like you say having to fill Jake's shoes but I think you did a fantastic job and um, you know credit to you um, now listen um, you've, you've done your F1 coverage you've done your MotoGP coverage you've had some highlights but nothing will come close to this Susie Perry it is time to introduce you to the Motormouth Quiz. I'll pass you over to my illustrious bearded colleague to tell you more. Yes, Susie Perry, welcome to the hardest quiz in motorsport, Motormouths, quite frankly, because sometimes I'm not even sure if the answers are correct. Um, So I've got four questions for you and a bonus question, all to do with you and your career and uh, the ins and outs of it. Um, It should hopefully, I've done the questions, I think I've been, I think you should be okay. There are 14 points up for grabs. At the moment, Nelson Piquet Jr. and Lee McKenzie are are tied at the top on 14 points uh, along with and then we've got some other people who's down Natalie Pinkham's got 12 points then Mark, uh, Mark, uh, Mark Blundell is down there with 12 so it's a big long leaderboard oh hoping. Blundell won't be happy with that will he no, I mean no, he, I, he was fuming I think that you've just you've just mentioned a few tryhards there. I'm not quite sure about this. <laughs> <laughs> let's see. Let's see if you can get into double digits fingers crossed are you ready for your first question I think so. There we go then. All right, so during your first season covering F1, as we just discussed, for the BBC in 2013, how many British drivers were on the grid and can you name them all? Um, right, how many British drivers? So there was uh, there would have been Max. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously Lewis. Yeah. Gents. Yeah. Um, Saving the big gun till last. He's a uh, oh, oh Lewis. Look, you got Lewis Jensen and Max, Max Chilton. There is one more who Harry idolizes. He's to a, my number one to an unhealthy um, degree. It's a strange. It's a strange driver to be a particular fan of. It's, but, also a strange, um, it's a very one-way relationship, isn't it? Uh, this was his last season in Formula One. Well, yeah, it was his last season in Formula One. Uh, he's from uh, David Coulthard land. Shh. Giving it away. Um, oh, uh, 
was Sir Paul. Yeah. Yeah. Paul Deresta, yeah, Paul. Full house. Paul. Good old yeah. Sorry, Paul, Paul. Deresta. Remiss of me. PDR. I'll give you I'll give you a half point for that. You can claw back some points if you can tell me what teams they raced for. Hang on, you've just taken a half point That's harsh. away from me. She got them right. Yeah, but we had to give you Paul the rest. Oh, no, I think, she should, I think she should have, I think she should have all of those. <laughs> can, can you tell me? I'll reinstate it if you can tell me the teams that they raced for. Uh, Lewis, uh, um, has he gone? Hang on, oh, God. Had he gone to Mercedes? I think he had. Yes, he had. Oh. Yes, 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 he had. Yeah, he, had, he, had. he had, and I think it was his first year. Was it his first yeah. year? Yeah, I think yeah, it was. was. It's first year. Got, I think I feel like I've got early dementia coming on. <laughs> oh, no. The others should be fair. Well, Jensen, who was he with? Because obviously him and Hamilton were teammates previously, weren't they? Well, so Jensen was still with McLaren. Yep. Yes, correct. P- and then the PDR. last two could be could be easy, could be difficult. Not sure. Max was with Marisha. Yep. Yes. Spot on. And good old um, Paul DeResta. Um, Bloody hell. This is bad. You know, you clawed back some points already, so this is just for a, a additional pride now. I think we're back up to full, <laughs> full house on this I'm one. Gonna, I'm sure. giving you the full points anyway because you you've done well there, but if you can get, if you can get the final... Can we do it? It was a midfield team, um, sort of uh, um, uh, representing a, a whole country in a way. Bit of a dodgy team owner. Oh, oh gosh, for India, yeah. There you go. There we go. We got there. Yeah, yeah, okay, that's right. Dodgy, that was just question one, Susie. Uh, okay. Oh. oh my god. <laughs> the next one. Hopefully, the next one should be should be easy and a bit quicker. Um, let's head over to two wheels. The current championship leader in MotoGP is the Frenchman Fabio Quartararo, but can you tell me? How old he is and where in France he was born. That's a tough one, where in France he was born. It was, yeah, but it, it's, it's, it's a mainstream place, so hopefully. 22. Correct. He is 22 years old. Correct. I, and I feel like it's Nice. Correct. It is Nice. In one. Fabulous. The 22-year-old from Nice, Fabio Quartararo. Um, there we go. We're back on track. Okay, question three. How much older is Valentino Rossi... Than Lewis Hamilton. Oh God! To the nearest Val- one yearish. Now Valentino is forty-two. Mm-hmm. That is correct. Yeah. And Lewis is—I can't remember. What's Lewis now? Lewis has got to be like thirty-five, something like that. So I'm how, in the ballpark. You're in you're def, you're absolutely in the ballpark, yes. Or is he thirty-four? Oh, oh. You're getting colder. Thirty-five. Is he thirty-six? He might be. <laughs> <laughs> so say he was maybe thirty-five, thirty-six. What's the gauge gap there? And what are you going for? I'll get if you oh. if you're within one, I'll give it to you. I'll go with thirty-five because that's what I said first. So let's say seven years. Oh, it's actually six. He's thirty-six, so the gap is six years. Valiant but I'll give you the point anyway because you're in you're in the ballpark. This is looking really uh, good. At, at the moment, you're on track to to get a podium position. You are right up there, Susie. We've got one more question and then a bonus point for you to get you as go. well. So, uh, question four: uh, 
you began uh, presenting uh, the what was MotoGP or what became MotoGP in 1997, as as the reporter as we discussed. Who was the champion that year? Um, who became champion in 1997? Who was champion in 1997? Uh, who became champion in 1997 at the end of the season? I think it was. Um... 1997 would have still been McGurn. Oh, absolutely spot on. This is getting tense now. This is, this is, if you get this, is you're going, you are going right to the top. We've actually salvaged this. Your bonus point here. Now, I'm not entirely sure about this answer. It's the best I could do on the old, the old Google. How many series of the gadget show have there been in total? I think if you get in and around the ballpark, we'll give you the point here. I think within five, because there's been a lot. Yeah. Oh, I did 16. I did 16 series in the first eight years. It's still going. Uh, yes, apparently it's still going. <laughs> so, that, um, I, so there was 2012... Oh, she's even do, she's doing the numbers on it. She's doing the so finger maths. Ten fingers. She's got the digits so there, going. Could, there could have been another 20 series since then, I think. Let's say um, if I did 16, 36, 30, let's say 35. Oh, my word. That is the number I have written down, the yeah. 35 series. <laughs> that is incredible. It's Susie a, Perry, that's one extra leader. bonus point. And you know what that does? I don't even need to do the no. maths. That sends you to the, top. to the top of the leaderboard. Susie Perry, uh, you are on top. The head of the rest, PK Jr., Lee McKenzie, uh, who are Connor Daly from Mark Webber, ahead of him as well, right at the top. Oh, I'll there. take being ahead of Mark oh, Webber. Yeah, you are. He's here. Much. He could only do 12. So you've I'm going to message 14. him now. Insert yeah. or insert <laughs> applause. Unbelievable. Well, Susie Perry, thank you very much for playing the hardest quiz in motorsport. Goodness me, well done. I have to say, when we first started that quiz, if we had fast-forwarded a few minutes, I wasn't expecting you, let's be honest, to be top of the leaderboard, but you are. (laughs) That first one was a challenge. It was a slow start. You know why? Honestly, I'll tell you a secret. My memory is absolutely shit. (laughs) And... I can't remember, like, as you could tell there, really big things. I can't remember stuff. So um, to go back to 2013 for me is very difficult. (laughs) You did very well. You did very well indeed. Now, that's the highlight of your career out of the way, which you can feel free to reference in future interviews as the the greatest point of your career. Starstruck. Let's talk about that. Have you ever got starstruck? I mean, you've mentioned some of the big names that you've interviewed. Have you ever stood in front of someone and thought, holy shit, I am nervous? Um, uh, 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 Probably not so much within sport, but Eric Clapton once came to Silverstone and I I love him so much. I've, I've seen him so many times live. And I stood next to him and I couldn't speak to him. And I was so annoyed with myself afterwards. Um, so, yeah, with Eric Clapton, I suppose. And it has it is a motorsport memory because it was at Silverstone. It comes to the Formula One. I, I just felt like such an idiot. It's, but, um, it's yeah, weird, though. Tim, when, I guess. when you're with someone that you're... You know, if you're not interviewing someone, but you're with someone that you admire or even someone famous, it's, it's different to this kind of scenario like where we're here to interview you. But if you're stood next to someone like that, it is different. And the only way I can compare it, and I'm not comparing Eamon Holmes here to uh, Eric Clapton, 
But I was at a services the other day and, and Eamon came pottering in through the doors and he went, oh, thanks for holding the door, wherever it was. And I, in my head, I was going, come on, ask for a photo, ask for a photo. And I didn't do it and I've been kicking myself ever since. Uh, no, it's a shame because Eamon's fantastic. And Eamon is one of the, obviously, a very, very familiar face to us all. Very. Who you can strike up a conversation with about holding the door open yeah. or about anything at all. He's just genuinely a really lovely, lovely human being. Um, but I, I suppose, you know, face with Eric Clapton or whoever your idol might be, it's hard to strike up a conversation without hearing yourself back on what you're saying, thinking, you idiot, yeah. you idiot. And I and I see it a lot, you know, when someone sort of comes up to you and, and says something and, and it's the same thing that you've heard a million times before, you know, what's Valentino Rossi like or whatever. I don't want to be that person that says to Eric Clapton, oh, I love your music. Or, yeah. <laughs> I, I went to see you at so-and-so because I just think he probably doesn't give a shit about that. So <laughs> it's better if you can strike up a conversation with somebody about the fact that you've held the door open and, you know, I don't know, you like, oh, yeah, it's my new job, whatever. But you, you can do that. And I think it's easier if you're in a scenario where you're not interviewing somebody and something does happen that's a bit normal every day yeah. that you can start talking because then you can get into a normal conversation but to to open a conversation with somebody I think is very very difficult if you you know if you do love them <laughs> and I love Eamon I do love Eamon yeah, yeah I love Eamon who doesn't, as well. who doesn't love Eamon Holmes it's yeah. a hard man not to love yeah. um you'll you'll rue that one Tim you'll will. rue it yeah um now, Susie, arguably you've done a bit less in the last year travel-wise, but it's been a huge part of uh, your career, especially when you work in, in motorsport and sport in general. How have you coped with it? I suppose it, it must be quite draining, you know, not just physically, but mentally as well. It's the worst bit. Um, uh, you know, it, 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 I tell you really interesting this year. I did my final uh, interview with Valentino Rossi at, at Silverstone and the BRDC Club. And um, bearing in mind that he's been racing at top level for 20, um, 26, 27 years. And he said to me that the switch went off two years ago and he realised that getting on a plane and going to the same racetracks all over the world, staying in the same place, going to the track, coming back again, was actually quite tedious. It had taken him 25 years to get to that point. Mm. Now, I think anybody that's in production or broadcasting will say it's the travel that's, that does you, it does you in the end, because you spend usually the whole life, your whole uh, year being jet lagged, pretty much nine months being jet lagged or tired. And it, you can't, you shouldn't say it out loud because it's a privileged position to be in, of course, yeah. to be doing this job. It's, it's the best job in the world. But yeah, the travel is rubbish. If you can click your fingers and just appear in Australia or China or America or whatever, then yeah, you, you know, I would definitely want to do that. For me, it's the, it's the down part and it's the part that, ultimately will probably make me go I'm done with this now yeah yeah no I, I can fully um, get on board with that I've done my fair share of traveling and actually I've, I've just started traveling again after all the the lockdown um shenanigans and um my my most recent experience just to highlight how challenging it now is was with at the um the Berlin finale for Formula E and I went out there to uh, to work with a company called Vestas who sponsor um Mercedes EQ and got to my hotel um checked in fist pumped mark weber randomly at reception then went to get my pcr test which was positive so i spent the next um eight or nine days in uh, in a hotel room in berlin missed all of the race missed all of the work i was supposed to do and then eventually managed to go home um and but it was an absolute disaster and and uh, fortunately i've got 
relatively sound mind, but I can imagine if I was in any way, shape or form unstable in any way, my mental health would have been absolutely broken after literally spending eight days in a Berlin hotel room. So what's the moral of that story? Do you know? Uh, I think the moral is um, probably just don't travel. <laughs> don't go anywhere. No, the, moral, the moral of the story is not to fist bump Mark Weather. Well, I thought, I, I, feel <laughs> okay, I feel okay saying that now because um, it was a while ago now. But at the time, I was like, oh, God, I've given Mark Webber COVID. So if, 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 if it was, I was thinking if it comes out that he's he's got COVID, then it's clearly my fault. Fortunately, he didn't. So I didn't pass it on. But um, uh, I shouldn't fist pump full stop because the amount of times I've done that thing where, you know, you've got a fist pump and someone oh. grabs your hand or like grabs a finger or you just sort of flop into each other's hands. It's just a, a shame. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, this is a brief sidetrack, but the worst time I've ever done that, I think I've told this story to you, Tim, as well. I, I, when I, was a, I used to be, a, when I was starting out as a runner and I, my, one of my first jobs was with, with Five Live, uh, the BBC, being a runner, um, helping Jenny Gow out at Silverstone. Oh, I love Jenny. On the grid. And uh, she was about to interview Anthony Joshua. And I was stood there um, and just, just with him, helping him wait for Jenny to come over. And he looks at me, he's like, oh, you're right, mate. And he goes in with the fist bump and I go in with the handshake and, it, and oh. when it's Anthony Joshua. Yeah, luckily, luckily yeah, it, it, it was a last-minute swerve. We just about avoided it, but there was a, we all knew what, was, what, what would have happened. So that was the worst time, I think. That's, when, when it's up against a, 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 bo- a boxer like that, I don't think there's any coming back from it, is You it? were going to say a boxing <laughs> legend like that, but he's no longer a legend because he's, he's been defeated twice. He has been defeated. Um, yes. um, but we, we, we harsh, digress, Susie. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. Because uh, we're, we're running out of time with you, uh, we, but we do do a, a final three questions that we ask oh, to not, all no, of No, not yes. more, not more. No, yeah. There's no, no, point, not, not no points up for grabs. Not a test. No, nothing to gain, I'm afraid. Um, but there are final three uh, brought to you by F1 Experiences. Um, Tim? Do you want to kickstart? I do. Um, Susie, what's got you excited at this very moment? I'm going out for lunch with my parents. Ooh, That's very exciting for me. Where are you going? Nice restaurant? I'm going to a restaurant called Fume, which is an Italian restaurant where lots of Wolves players go. So secretly, yeah. while I'm having a lovely time with my mum and dad, I'll be just looking over their shoulders to see who's coming in. See what you've done there. <laughs> Clever. See who's about to get a photo or two. See who's, yeah. see who's holding the door open. Yeah. See if um, Pedro Neto comes in. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, enjoy your lunch. Uh, second question for you. Um, what's your favourite MotoGP destination? <laughs> Um, my favourite destination is Austin, but it's not my favourite racetrack. My favourite racetrack is Mugello. Yeah. Oh, okay. Ooh. Austin. How, is it more fun in Austin and, and actual racing's good in, in uh, Mugello? Exactly, yeah. I mean, Mugello's beautiful. It's in the middle of Tuscany, of course. It's absolutely gorgeous and everything about it is wonderful and it's Valentino land and I love it and I've got yeah. so many happy memories there. Um, Austin is fun for the night out, for the bands, for the live music, for the crazy, crazy, for the dueling piano bar, yeah. you know, and everybody's out there. And I feel like when you go on a long haul race in motorsport, the riders and the drivers forget that they're famous and they throw themselves in. So you just have these wild bites, which are brilliant. Yep, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Uh, final question for you before we let you get on with your day. What are you scared of? I'm scared of... I don't know. What am I scared of? Um, I'm not sure, really. 
That's a, the worst answer you've ever had. Well, do, uh, oh, how are you with, you know, little creepy crawlies, spiders? Would you ever go into the jungle, actually? That's a good question. I'm fine with that sort of stuff. I love it. I'm, I'm massively into nature and oh, okay. animals and I save everything. So that, it's, not a, it's not a spider. I'm not, I'm not as good with heights um, as I once was. So probably the crazy things I used to do in the gadget show, I don't think I would jump off bridges now and out of plane. So may, maybe that should be what I'm scared of. Mm. You, I think fair, fair enough. You would uh, have you ever considered the jungle or any of those those shows? Um, I've, it's always a, a timing thing, to be honest, yeah. for me because they cross over the end of the season. So I've, I've had been asked to go in the jungle, and I did, yes, I did consider it, but it meant missing yeah. so many races. I couldn't do that because yeah. you know for contractual reasons. <laughs> so um, so yeah, no. I, I, I mean, I've. I'd love to do Strictly. I'd love to learn to dance properly. That would be amazing. Well, Those are the two, really, that I think I'd we're a, probably be entertained. Or maybe MasterChef. Maybe I should oh, be MasterChef. Yeah. I like cooking. So. What's, what's your favourite yeah. dish to cook? Oh, I just... I, I don't eat meat, so um, it'll be all vegetable things. Um I love curries, so yeah, let's let's go with the with the curry option. Solid, solid choice there. Good choice. I like that you don't eat meat. I'm from Wolverhampton. uh, (laughs) I'm in the middle of my my uh, plant based uh, clean diet, and uh, so I can vouch for the whole uh, not eating meat thing. I mean, mean, I'm eating a tiny bit, but most of it is completely clean and unprocessed. And I genuinely have never felt better in my life. Like uh, right now, that's good. Right now, as of this morning. On the 5th of October, 11.23, I have never felt better. I feel lighter than I have done for a year and a half. And I've, I wake up in the morning, like, I leap out of bed. I'm like, I'm ready. I'm ready for the day. And usually I'm a hungover mess. So I'm, I'm enjoying this, um, <laughs> this new family. Well, you were an amazing advert there for plant-based food. Yeah, um, well, yeah. yeah. I'm all over four it. years, I think, now. And, yeah, very happy to be maintaining that. And it, you know what it actually does? It just changes the way that you think about eating and cooking. Um, and I find the food much more tasty and um, I'm glad that restaurants are getting into it as well now. And I, I mean, apart from the obvious thing that you shouldn't eat meat, but people seem to eat meat every single day these yeah. days. Whereas I think when I was growing up, that didn't happen. My, my granddad was a butcher, so... <laughs> not sure he'd be particularly impressed with me right now but anyway um yeah you, you definitely should have days where you don't put meat in your body ideally seven <laughs> <laughs> there's another podcast we'll clip, right there we'll, clip, we'll use that as the clip for when we uh... <laughs> oh no no Hate. Everybody will hate on me. <laughs> People won't be expecting that from Stick this kind of podcast. We do talk about everything on here. Yeah. Um, we really could talk to you uh, all day, I think, Susie. But um, we have run out of time there, I think. But uh, thank you so much uh, for coming onto the show. It's been great to, to get you on and chat to you about your life and your career and all the things you're up to. It's been great to get your insights as well. Uh, so, Susie Perry, thank you very much for joining us on the Motor Mouth podcast. Thank you very much. Absolute pleasure to talk to you both. Really, really enjoyed it. And I'm now going to hunt for wolf players. Before you go, one final reminder to check out F1 Experiences, the official experience, hospitality and travel programme of Formula One. F1 Experiences is the closest you can get to the sport. Official ticket packages, which include the best race tickets, first-class hotels, travel and exclusive behind-the-scenes access across a Grand Prix weekend. F1 Experiences offer packages like no other. So to book your F1 Experiences package, head online to f1experiences.com and if you enter code MOTORMAN, 
Motormouth, you'll get 5% off too. Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore, Instagram at Motormouth underscore official and Facebook, just search Motormouth. You can also download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. We're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor Charity too, so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumours quicker. Don't forget to like, subscribe and review. And until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth Podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 